I just pray that you will put that in my mouth this morning, that what comes out of my mouth, Father God, will be your words of healing and hope for every one of that is listening to it this morning. I surrender myself, God, into your mighty hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Father, for your glory. Amen. Amen. This morning, I'm going to a, a passage which is very familiar passage. A lot of times people call this uh, I'm, uh, as a, the Lord's Prayer, right? And uh, we've rehearsed it and talked about it, so I'm going to ask God to just like a, you know, fresh, put up some fresh word um, on that same prayer. Uh, and the, the biggest thing that I want you to go back to is not so, uh, yes, we will definitely go through the, the Lord's Prayer, but this is the journey that we started a while back, and we just took uh, two weekends of detour because of the Easter and the Good Friday and, and the Palm Sunday and so on. So we took a little bit of a detour um, and just meditated on that moment about Christ. Now we're coming back to the same series that we started on prayer. Why, why is it so important that prayer life is so critical? Because we are seeking God for help because what we are asking for is beyond our power sometimes to control. There are times that we feel that uh, we don't have any more of an energy. Uh, earlier this week, I had a chance to speak to someone, and she said, like, Sarah, uh, I wasn't able to sleep at night. My my." my tears and uh, I was crying. I did not see this coming. Right? There are moments in time we feel the weakness in us. And the Bible says he becomes our strength in our weakness. This is a personal appeal to a personal God. And God, as much as we are searching for him, he is searching for us. His eyes are all over the earth right now looking at every one of us. And and here's the thing. When we go to God in prayer, we cannot have a half-hearted prayer. Because the half-hearted prayer, the prayer without perseverance, actually does not take us any further than what is coming out of us. I've seen many of you pray on this line. I've seen Miss Sarah pray. I've seen Miss Brenda pray. I've seen Miss uh, Susan pray. When, when, uh, when I hear in their prayer, um, when they pray, is this uh, 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 amazing amount of energy of wrestling that happens with God. And God loves that. We saw um, earlier when we were meditating on Jacob, he wasn't letting go of God. He was just wrestling with him all the time. In fact, uh, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 6, verses 13, right? This is a passage where God is speaking to Moses about various furnitures that are inside of the temple, right? And when it came to the altar, 
God says, keep the fire burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. Prayer is like that. Why? Because you and I are the temple of that Holy Ghost. And we cannot afford to have that fire come down. We have to be ready. We have to be on guard. We have to be always be so quick to get on our knees and go to God in prayer. I heard one time uh, this story about like a, when the gospel uh, went to Africa for the first time. There were certain leaders that, that they formed and they, they, there were some new people that were giving their life to Christ. And so the leadership, when they, when they were ministering to them, and, and the ones that, uh, um, when they gave their life to Christ, they were so joyful, and they were asking these leaders, what do we do next? Right? And so the leaders taught these new converts uh, a, a, a time for them to do a daily devotion with the Lord. Sort of like a, they were telling them to go to a place, a secluded place where they can actually talk to God in the morning. Right? So, but he, they also said, don't go together. Go all by yourself because this is, a, this is a personal time with your father. And so every day morning, the villagers were leaving their village into the wilderness. They, were, they would walk and walk and walk and, until they find a place that they can be alone with God. And when they walked over a certain um, distance every day, back and forth, back and forth, what happened is the grass on that path, when they're stepping on that grass, they, they would die because you might have seen even today, if you keep walking on a certain grass, the grass would die. But you have like a certain varieties of grass, what happens? is that, the, that even after it is, die, it is dead, it would come back up. Right? Uh, Bermuda grass is one such thing where uh, during the, the winter time, it just like it completely grows brown, and then during the spring, it just like it comes back up. The same way, right? If uh, uh, they watch this different path, that this grass has because these guys who are walking back and forth. Sometimes, right, because certain people in that group, when they don't actually take this seriously, the same grass that was dead starts to grow. And the leaders would come and say, looking at the, the grass growing on that the path, they would call up on that convert and say, you may be lacking in prayer, but here's what we see, that grass is growing in your path. Brothers and sisters, this morning, God is asking you and me, how good is your prayer life? Is grass growing in your path? There is an article that said 57% of Americans pray every day. That was very encouraging because that's more than 50% of Americans pray. 
But then in that very same article, it talked about how some of them pray like a programming. They get up in the morning, they say, God, bless this day. I'm going to work. Amen. Right? Sometimes I heard that people pray during the, the dinner table. God, bless this food. Amen. It's almost like a, a checkbox that we put because we want to pray. And, and, and you, you want to just like a finish that chore. Or sometimes we put it like a, the front of like a train engine so that we pray in the morning and we let the train continue to be pulled because of that prayer that we did in the morning. It, it's, it's a routine. It's a program that we have gotten ourselves into. The second set of people pray because of guilt. They, they say, say these things to themselves. Uh, it's not out of love. It's just like because they feel guilty if they don't pray. And the third step, which is actually a huge percentage of people, they pray out of emergency. They pray because there is a need that has come across in their life. But there is a very small percentage of people, a minority, the fourth type, who pray to keep their fire on. And they pray irrespective of what is going on in their life. And this morning, my prayer for you and me is that we become the fourth type, the small minority that keeps alive the fire in the center of our heart, just like how it says in Leviticus chapter 6, keep the fire burning on the altar continuously. Don't let that go away. This morning, the text that we're going to deal with is from Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, we'll go to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read, start, begin reading from verse 6. It says, it's talking about hypocrites and so on in the fifth verse of that one, but you, God is talking about the ones that are listening to his voice. I'll read from the fifth verse itself, just to get the continuity. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, Go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things that you need, you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, and God goes into this model prayer that we have heard so many times, and that's where we are going to be lingering. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive everyone who trespasses against us. Do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from evil. We've rehearsed this prayer so many times. But it's, I, there are certain things I'm just like so excited uh, as I'm preparing these messages uh, that I've not known before. This Friday night, uh, uh, we have started a new series on the book of Isaiah. And there's so much in the book of Isaiah that we may lose if we are just going to read it like a, a, a textbook, right? That's just like a digging deeper into our hearts on Friday nights. The same way, we'll dig deeper into this prayer, this model prayer. That's what the Bible says. It's a model prayer. Why? Because there are twice Jesus taught this prayer, twice. Uh, and we, we don't really realize there are two times, two different times that Jesus gave the exact same words, right? The first time he talked about it, it was on the, in the mount, mountain when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount as part of talking about various things. Jesus actually teaches them how to pray. And the second time it happens in Luke chapter 11, it's a, it is striking this incident where they saw Jesus go out. They keep seeing Jesus go out all the time. And they keep seeing Jesus like go to the mountains and separate himself. They see what he does when he prays. After he prays, he blesses the food and the food multiplies. After he prays, the blind gets their eyes back. After he prays, that the lame starts to walk. After he prays, the dead come alive. After he prays, something happening. And so the disciples come, disciples come and ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. That's in Luke chapter 11, right? And the, the, most of the times, Jesus used the exact same word when he taught them how to pray. But here's the thing. This prayer, this Lord's prayer, is, is, is a template. It's a roadmap. We don't need to repeat exactly the same word. We can and we will, uh, and we can pray with that kind of a mindset. But there is a, a template, there is a formula, there is a format that Jesus has when he talked about. That's why he says, in this manner, therefore, pray. God is saying, I'm teaching you a, a, a formula. I'm teaching you a template. I'm teaching you a roadmap. Sometimes I've heard people say uh, this as the Lord's Prayer. They think that this is Lord's Prayer, our Father. But really, if this is the Lord's Prayer, if this is what Jesus is praying, it, some of the verses in this prayer does not agree. Why? In the middle of that prayer, it says, that, forgive us our sins. It's, it's like that the God is teaching us how to pray, to forgive us our sins, asking God to forgive our sins. Jesus, the man who knows no sin, 
doesn't need to pray that way. The, the, the Jesus that we worship has no need for some of these things like temptation. He was not tempted by this enemy. Even when he tempted after the 40 days of fasting, Jesus was very well grounded. So this is not, uh, not just the Lord's Prayer. There is something more to it. This is for the believers. I would even call this as a believer's prayer. I, I talked about a formula. I talked about a template. I talked about a roadmap, right? So the Lord's Prayer also is, is almost like a sandwich. There are three parts to this prayer. The first part is worship and adoration towards God. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the first part of that sandwich. The second part of that sandwich is our personal appeal. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the second part. And the third part of this sandwich is ending with an adoration. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. If you see both the places in Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount, as well as the Luke's version on Luke 11, the Luke version is slightly smaller than the Matthew version. So that's why I'm going to stick with it, because the one last part that we saw, right, for, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, only appears in Matthew 6, right? But here, here is the reason why I believe this is a template for our prayer life. We often skip certain parts of the, the, the prayer, and we go directly into asking what we need. It's almost like when we pray, we're saying, Our Father who is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. It's, it's almost like we just like a very want, quickie want to get to the second part. And it is almost like a, 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 what I said earlier, treating prayer like a spare tire. You don't really think about the spare tire until your tire, one of your t- tires busts open. And so we go to God like that. We, we just start saying, God, I just need this. God, I need that. It's almost like... A, when a baby is born, they don't know how to ask for certain things. And so they start to cry. The moms and the grandmothers, they make a decision for that baby because they're just like a crying. Maybe they are hungry. Maybe they just want a bath. Maybe they just want to walk outside. They don't know how to express, so they just like, Wah! they just keep crying. But then when they grow to the next phase of their life, they're like, I need this, or I want that. They know how to manipulate at that point, the mom and dad, but their wording is like, I need this, I need that. But as they grow older and older, just like you and me, as we get older and older, we start to go in our prayers, more pious. Dad, can you help me? 
That's the kind of prayer walk that the Lord is very familiar with. But he's also very familiar with the moments that we go darkly to the meat of our prayer. He He's a God who knows where we come from. And so here, let's look at this prayer. Our Father who is in heaven. Who is God preaching this to? This prayer that God is preaching to is to, is to the believers, it's to the disciples, it's to the people who seek his presence. He didn't just let it go anywhere and talk about our Father who is a hidden teacher like in public for anybody. This was like a very, very um, personal to God. He's teaching his children how to pray. Calling him as a father is a privilege. John chapter 1, verses 12 says, But to who? But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. The fact that we can call him Abba Father, we can call him our Father, it's a privilege. And also, it's a comfort. Why? When we call upon God as a father, what we are acknowledging is that our father has a better view about my situation than I have about my situation. My father sees the past, the present, and the future. My father has a better perspective about this whole situation that I'm going through. And when we bring father into the prayer, then our faith expands. We're pausing to recognize that he's not some Joe Blow or some Brad or John that is out there or some relative of this earth. I'm praying to my father who owns everything, who created everything, who is sitting on the right side of the fire. And I'm praying to a God who is sitting on the throne. When we have this kind of a perspective about our Father, then all things will fall in its place. Let's look at it a little bit more deeper. How does the, the dad treat their children? It doesn't matter, or a mom treats their children. It doesn't matter how many times they make a mistake. If we go and cry out to our earthly fathers and earthly mothers, their heart melts. It doesn't matter what they have done to you. It doesn't matter how much they have swayed away from you. It doesn't matter how prodigal they have been. When they come running to you, you will melt like a candle. And that's how God melts when we go to him in prayer. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalms 103. This is talking about the Father's heart towards you and me. When we go to him in prayer, this is how he sees us. Psalm 103, verses 13 through 17, it says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate, to those 
will fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like a grass, like a wild flower. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we're gone, as though we have never been here. But the love of the Lord, my Father, remains forever with those who fear Him. The God of this universe is not only the Creator, the Al Shaddai, but He is also a tender and a compassionate Father. And He knows when they fall down, and He extends His hands when they fall down. He pulls us out of the situation that we are in. He will come for the rescue. He will act on our behalf. That's the Father that we have. There is a place, another place on this very same chapter. It's, it's talking about like a how. If you ask for an egg, would an earthly father give you a scorpion? If you ask for a bread, will he give you a storm? If the evil one doesn't even do such things, the ones that are carnal doesn't even do these things, how much more your heavenly father will do to you what you're asking for? There's another place. It says, Isaiah chapter 63, verse 16, it says, Surely you are still our father. We're reading the book of Isaiah, right? And, and uh, the prophet in one of these places, he's saying, I know you're still our father. I know we have made mistakes. I know we have strayed away from you, but you're still our father. Even if Abraham and Jacob would disown us, Lord, you would still be a father. You are a redeemer from ages past, knowing that he is not just a father, he is a father who art in heaven. Should just give us the relief that our lives need not be filled with fear and anxiety. The fact that he is in heaven should just like a make our joy not get strangled with worries. The one who loves us the most is still sitting on the on the throne when when we go through moments of despair, when everything around us has fallen apart, know this for sure. Our God, our Heavenly Father, is a God of might. He's a God of majesty. He's the God who controls heaven and earth. He's a God who is all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. There is nothing that he cannot do. My dad and your dad can, in a twinkle of his hand, can split the Red Sea and make the walls of Jericho fall down. Even though this prayer, our Father who is in heaven, the moment you say our Father who is in heaven, we are actually entering into the heavenly realm at that point. When we go to God in prayer, we cannot be praying on this earthly realm. We have to go to where he is. And, and when we go to where he is, we are now all of a sudden, with that just very word, our Father who is in heaven, we are transported into the heavenly realm. 
we are transported into the fourth dimension. We only see the three dimensions, but there is a fourth dimension where our God exists in your life and my life. President Kennedy, when he was in the office, he doesn't like it disturbed when he is in a meeting in the Oval Office. He has given a strict instruction to his admin. If he is meeting with somebody in the Oval Office, he doesn't want anybody to come bother him. But you know what? In, even though those instructions, those laws, and those kind of like the conditions that the President Kennedy was putting, and telling his secretary and the scheduler, he also has told them that if any of my children come, let them in. Only the children of President Kennedy had access to him at any time. Even though our father is in heaven, you and I have access to him at any time. Chris Domlin sings this beautiful song called Good, Good Father. In the song, he says, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you are like. Right? But I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night. The songwriter is saying, I know I've heard thousands of stories about, the, about who you are and who you are like. Right? You, you, you tell me that you are pleased and that uh, I have never been alone. I've heard all these things. But he says, you are a good, good father. It is who you are. It is who you are. It is who you are. He's a good, good father. And I am loved by you. It is who I am. Who I am. It is who I am. Oh, I've... Seen many searching for answers far and wide, but I know they are all searching for answers only you provide. Because you know just what we need before we say a word. Why? You are a good, good father. It is who you are. It is who you are, and I am loved by you. It's who I am. So, the, the first point, our Father who is in heaven, just transports. Now, imagine yourself for a moment that you are not anymore on this earth. You are actually in the heavens with the angels and the elders. You are you're now in the presence of the Holy God. There's got to be a chillness in our bones, that's just like it gets into all parts of our body because we're no longer on earth. That's what God wants us to teach us in this prayer. He's saying, when you are praying and you are coming to my father's house, know for sure you no longer get governed by the earthly laws and regulations. You are now in my presence. The second thing it says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be thy name. Now we're starting to talk about the greatness of this God. In fact, I really like the, the version, the New Living Translation version that says, may 
your name be kept holy. May your name be kept set apart, sanctified, magnified. Even now when you hear someone's name, right? Uh, there is something about the name. That's why we spend so much time in reading and meditating on God's name, right? But here, think about it this way. When you, when you say a name about somebody, are you thinking about that person as, a, as, as, as just the image of that person, or you're thinking about who they are and what they do? Say, for example, Mother Teresa. When we say the word Mother Teresa, what comes to our mind? There was a woman who sacrificed her life by going into northern part of India, Calcutta, and just like a serve in cleaning the wounds of the people who had leprosy. That's the imagery that we get. We don't actually see this puny, tiny woman who's just so lean, timid, it's just like a walking on that white horse. We don't see that image. We see who she is and what she did. If we think about it, if we say the word Billy Graham, immediately what comes to our mind is not this uh, uh, country boy who was milking the cows. That doesn't come in our mind, but what comes to our mind is this giant stadium where he preached the God the word with boldness. When we think about Albert Einstein, when we think about Dr. Martin Luther King, when we think about Mahatma Gandhi, what comes to our mind is not their figure or their imagery of that person. What comes to our mind that we associate with is the reputation for which they were standing on. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. When we just lift up his name. What comes is not just the God who made the heavens and earth, but he's also invoking his name's character. When Jesus petitions God to God, hallowed be thy name, he is asking that God to visibly demonstrate his holiness and his glory. Jesus wants us to remove the focus from us and our reputation and turn our attention to God. It's about him and his holiness and his name. A lot of times when we go to God in prayer, in our mind, we actually bring God down. But instead, here in this prayer, God is saying, look at the magnificence of the Father that is sitting on the throne. His name is El Shaddai. His name is Elohim. His name is Jehovah Rapha. His name is Jehovah Shalom. His name is Jehovah Jireh. His name is Adonai. His name is above all the names. When you go to God and call upon his name, hallowed be thy name, what we are saying is, God, I want to invoke your power 
your holiness into my situation. In Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7, Moses was asking God, God, I want to see your face. God says, my face is so bright, you cannot see my face. Maybe you can just like a bee in the corner of this class and I will pass by you. I will put my hand to block you. And all those things got to, but what I never read before is this verse. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in, the fr- in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. God is saying to Moses and talking to Moses while he was passing by. I never thought of it or read about it in the past like that. I've only thought that he was just like a passing by, but God was actually speaking to Moses while he was passing by. And this is what he was saying. I'm the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and fill it with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. God is talking about his character. The, the reputation, his reputation is a compassionate and a merciful God. And when you see, when you say, hallowed be thy name, what we are saying is, God, you are a God of compassion and mercy. Make that character become real in my life. God, you said that you are slow to anger. I'm invoking that name, Yahweh, because I know I have made a mistake and I have no chance of redemption, but I know, Father, your name says that you are slow to anger. God, I know that I've done these wrong things so many times, but when I call upon your name, Father God, that your name is attached to your unfailing love. Your name is attached to your unfailing faithfulness. Your name is attached to something that I cannot do to myself. God's name is holy and special. Even though God wants us to call him our father, a father who still in heaven. And he's saying, I'm not going to let a tarnish or something to cause my reputation be removed. When we invoke his name, right, here's what is happening, that we are actually invoking his characteristic. No one likes to have his or her name misspelled or mispronounced. I've seen this so many times at work uh, when people just like uh, say it in a certain way, even this week uh, earlier when I was speaking with the Katina, uh, she was talking about a girl named Caroline. Caroline. Uh, so I always pronounced it as a Caroline, but she said, no, it's Carlin. And, and so the thing is, people would like to call their name in a specific way. Sarah Ethel, 
right? So there is like a certain word that when we say about that name, we don't want people to misspell or mispronounce our name because our name is part of our identity, our worth, individual worth. We, we, we value having a good name that we value having our name attached to our reputation. In the same way, God's name speaks of his identity, his character, and his actions. When David says in Psalm 23, he guides me along the righteous right path for his name's sake. What is he saying? He's saying God's action of hallowing his name in the way he guides me. Because his name is attached to, to you and me, because we are the product of his manufacturing unit, his name is the brand that is attached to, to your life and my life. And he is not going to let that life that he has given to you and me go shameful, void, and wasted. Because we are his product. We are from his manufacturing unit. And his name is attached to my name. And that's what we are invoking when we say, hallowed be your name. And that's what Jesus is teaching us this morning. Not only that, Jesus is also pointing us to, to the third commandment of the Ten Commandments. He's, he, when we talk about hallowed be your name, he's actually taking us back to the third commandment that says, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It doesn't mean simply don't use God's name as a curse word. Oh, Jesus. I've heard so many people talk about it on TV and, oh, Jesus Christ. Yes, they just don't mean it like a prayer. They're just like invoking the name in fallacy. They're invoking his name out of ignorance. They're invoking his name not knowing the power of what they just invoked. Right? God's name is very serious, sober, and an eternal matter. God is, Jesus is teaching us uh, that we must not take a God's name lightly. He's not the man upstairs. He's not the big guy. He is always and has been and always will be the most high God. He is Al Shaddai. He is Jehovah. He is Adonai. He is the great I am. When we say, hallowed be your name, we are invoking his name into our prayers. There's another place. In Isaiah chapter 48, verses 9 through 11, it says that, If for my own sake and for the honor of my name, I will hold back my anger and not wipe you out. I have refined you, but not as silver is refined. Rather, I have refined you in the furnace of suffering. I will rescue you for my name's sake. Yes, for my own name's sake. I will not let my reputation be tarnished. I will not share my glory with idols. God's reminding the children of Israel in the book of Isaiah, he holds back a little on the discipline we truly deserve to just like a, be 
vanished or wiped out from this earth. But God says, because you carry my name, I'm going to hold back on cutting you from my presence. Because you hold my name upon you, even though you're rebelling against me right now, you will not be affected because I'm going to spare you because of my name. Here's the question I wanted to ask every one of us. When others see us, who are they seeing? If others across the world, across our neighborhood, in our workplace, when they see you and me and how we live, do they see the fruit of God's Spirit in us? The love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because we are Christians. We carry Christ's name on us. And we need to live our life to the reputation of the name that is attached to our head. We saw our Father who is in heaven. And that gives us access to him. That gives us a a, a better perspective of where we stand at this moment in time. We are transported into heaven. And the next thing that we do is that we hallowed be thy name. When we go to heaven, you stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, Your hands and my hands have to tremble before the presence of the Holy God. We feel that. Think of it this way. If president of this country comes and meets you at your home, will you be the same? Or if he invites you to the White House and sits in the Oval Office, will you actually react the same way you reacted to somebody? That will be a reverence that will be injected into that moment in our life. And God is saying, when you are in my presence, when you get into my heaven, you need to have reverence. Then he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you take the Lord's Prayer, right, we saw this sandwich that he's building on. Our Father who is in heaven, that is just like a, only transporting it into heaven. But then, there are three things that comes in the adoration and glory of God. Number one, hallowed be thy name. May your name be kept holy. May your name carry the, the glory in my situation. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a holy expectation. We ask that the kingdom God has promised may come. The the kingdom that God has promised is purchased with his blood and the suffering of the Christ on the cross. When we say, thy kingdom come, your kingdom come, we ask that, that this kingdom that we are in, that is a man-made kingdom, is, is always going to have its own shortfall. But when his kingdom comes, 
the master of this universe comes with his kingdom, he's going to change everything that we are having in our hand. In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 3 and 4, it says, I've heard a loud shout from the throne room saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor pain. All these things are gone forever. Here's the thing. The angel is going to sound the trumpet. When the seventh time he blows the trumpet, everything is finished. And his kingdom is going to come. What we are saying, when we pray, thy kingdom come. When we pray, your kingdom come. What we are saying is, God, I want to have that same invoking of your kingdom right now on this earth. Your kingdom that has no death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. God, I want that to come. When we pray this kind of a prayer and asking God to bring his kingdom down, what we are saying to God is, God, I'm sick of this man-made kingdom where people, where people are dying and lost. God, we are sick of these countries bombing against each other we want peace to be restored on this earth. Let your kingdom come. We're praying that the people would live in peace and love one another, just like what Revelation 21 says, let thy kingdom come. It reminds us that we should live the way God wants us to live every day because we are asking for something very righteous at this point. Thy kingdom come. We're saying we are we're tired of this kingdom that we are part of. God, I just pray that you will just like a restore in us exactly what you what you created in the Garden of Eden. That when the cool of the day you walked by, God, I want that kind of a lifestyle in 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 today's world that I'm living in. I'm not able to see that you walk by the cool of the day because. Uh, we are in a man-made kingdom. Thy kingdom come. When, when his kingdom come, here's what God has promised. In Revelation chapter 11, 15, it says, that The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there was a loud voice shouting in heaven, The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The 24 elders sitting on their thrones before God fell with their faces on the ground and worshipped him. Here's the thing. When that kingdom comes, he's going to be there forever. And what we are saying is, thy kingdom come. What we are saying to God is that, God, I want to start ready, get myself ready for the the millions and millions of years that I'm going to spend in your presence. And here's another promise that God has given when in his kingdom. He says in Daniel chapter 7, verses 27, 
he says, the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. God has promised you and me when we pray this prayer of petition as an act of self-surrender to the will of God. And we say, thy kingdom come, we are saying, God, I'm not anymore the king of this kingdom. God, I'm going to transfer that control over to you. I'm going to humble myself, God, before your strength and follow your lead. I'm going to live my life that just like it glorifies you. I'm going to live my life just like how I would live for millions and millions of years that I'm going to spend with you, thy kingdom come. Jesus explains it to his people in a parable in Matthew chapter 25. He says, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. When we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we are saying to God is this, I'm willing to surrender, and I'm willing to get to that place. I don't want to be the king. Father, I'm just transferring my control to you. Here's the thing. We are celebrating a moment in time during the, the after Jesus resurrected from earth, he goes to, to heaven. And before he goes to heaven, he meets with people. Nearly 500 people saw him alive before he went to be with his father. And because he came and just assured them that he's going back to his kingdom, the early church very soon was threatened and persecuted by the Roman Empire. But because their perspective has changed, that they are waiting for the king to establish his kingdom on earth. Bible says the next time when they started to pray, that prayer was different. When they went to the upper room to pray in Acts chapter 4, verses 31, the Bible says as they prayed, this I really like the message version, while they were praying, the place where they were meeting trembled and shook. It was shaking when they were praying. Think of it this way this morning. Our Father, who is in heaven, and now in heaven, transported into another realm. Hallowed be thy name. We're just bobbing down before his name. And he, we are saying, God, make your name be known in my life. Not only that, we are saying to God, your kingdom come, your will be done. because. In your kingdom, there is not going to be any more death, cry, or pain, or grievance, or anxiety, or worry. They're going to be on a place of freedom that we have never experienced before. 
And when you go to God after this with your prayers, then the way in which you pray differs. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 13 and 14 says, If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I'll be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortune. I will gather you out of the nation where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. God is ready to take us to his kingdom. And we need to live with the kingdom principle in our lives. In the kingdom, in his kingdom, we see him as a king, not in the far future, but today, right now. And when we ask him, God, I am tired of this. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then after that, you've already established your platform. Then you can go and talk about what you need. When we come next week, we're going to see about the need that we're praying. Today, I just want to establish the groundwork. Three parts to the Lord's Prayer is what we you know, I just wanted to change even my own vocabulary. Three parts to the believer's prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us go to God in prayer this morning as we get ready for the communion. Father God, we come before your throne of grace one more time this morning. We bow before you with humility and ask you to examine our hearts first, where we have kept you in our heart. God, the throne room where we are standing right now, our Father, who art in heaven, show us anything that is not pleasing to you as you are standing on that throne room. Reveal, Father God, any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, any rebellion, any unforgiveness that may be hindering me standing right now before you in this throne room, Father God. We know that you are, we are your beloved children. That's why, Father God, you died on that rugged cross, having received you into our hearts and lives, having accepted your death as a penalty for our sinfulness, the price, Father, you paid, sending your son to die on the rugged cross, covers us for all time. And our desire, Father God, is to live for you. As we take this bread representing your life that was broken for us, remember, we remember and celebrate, Father, your faithfulness to us and all who will receive you, Father God. Thank you for your extravagant love and the unmerited favor. Thank you that your death gave us life, abundant life for now and eternal life forever. We receive 
this bread in remembrance of you. Let's go ahead and take the bread. In the same way, you take this cup representing your blood, poured out from the splendid cross. You're, you are the supreme sacrifice of all of our sins, past, present, and future. Today, Father, we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life. You gave us through your son and the blood he's spilled upon that right cross. Let's take the drink. In Jesus' name. Father, we come before your throne of grace one more time this morning. As we, Father God, lift up your name. As we, Father God, pray the prayer that you told us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I just pray this morning that you will give us this very same access, Father God, every single time to come before your throne of grace. God, give us that mercy and the fresh anointing that we need for today as we come before your presence, Father God. Let your kingdom come, that you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray, Father, for your glory. Amen. 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 The conference has been unmuted. Hallelujah. There's more to come on this prayer. We're just going to take it slow as we go through this. We will come back to the, the second part of this prayer next week. But this is not about like a vain repetition that we need to follow exactly. We need to actually start to act based on, based on what this prayer is teaching us. We have to start to feel every word to just like a soak and just like a connect with us in a way that has never been connected before. Next time when we say the, the, the believer's prayer, we're going to see how we are going to react to this prayer. You will see, and I will see, because God's going to remind you and me that yes. we are already in the presence of the Holy God in the very first line itself, our Father yes. who is in heaven. Amen. May the good Lord bless everyone on this Thank beautiful you. Sunday morning, and we will come back next week bright and early. Have an amazing yes, day, everyone. Thank you, Pastor. Have an amazing week. Have a great, have a great week, everyone. Amen. Thanks for that wonderful message. Y'all have Amen. a great week. Bye-bye. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord.